certainly we all have a different level of needs, but I can tell you working with clients over time, somebody's want is somebody else's need. So, you know, how you define those uh, is certainly subjective, um, but it's important to define them properly and to measure them because again, you need to really maintain your lifestyle as a good starting point in retirement. Welcome to Retire Smarter with Kevin Krosky. Find answers to your toughest questions and get educated about the financial world. It's time to retire smarter. Hey, and welcome to another edition of Retire Smarter. Walter Storholt here with Kevin Krosky, President and Wealth Advisor at True Wealth Design, serving you throughout Northeast Ohio and Southwest Florida with offices in Akron and Canfield. You can find us online by going to truewealthdesign.com for more information and to listen to past episodes of the show. Kevin, great to be with you this week. How are things going for you? Good, Walter. Always good to be with you, too. I'm kind of thinking back to where we left off a couple weeks ago. And, um, well, I mean, I think I, and the one story I told was about my wife. Excuse me, my daughter told me I gave bad advice, but then we were talking about I was learning how to go boating. And uh, I'm happy you to... You survived. Re- You're back. Yes, so I'm, I'm still talking. I, uh, I did not uh, drown or, or, well, I was going to say, or did not wreck the boat. I don't I don't know if I can technically say that. Um, so I... We took out, <laughs> we took the boat out last weekend, and again we're kind of you know, just just learning here. We didn't buy a boat or anything, but um, so we took it out. I'm still like very nervous or humble, maybe, in going out there and learning. And uh, so we everything went well. Um, wife was congratulatory, said you know, she was surprised how well I did. I guess she had really low expectations of me. Thanks, honey. <laughs> and um, and we we docked the boat or, or beached the boat, I guess, into a sandbar. And uh, so we were there for a while, walking the, around with the kids in the water. And um, I'm thinking everything's great. I was I was worried about the boat actually, you know, us losing the boat. So we had the the anchor out. But um, when time came and we wanted to, to actually get back in the water, we couldn't push the darn boat back out. So the the tide had actually receded a bit, and and now here we were on the beach. And um, so we were able to after an, an O S H I T moment. Uh, we had some people come over and help us, and uh, with with uh, about fifteen men on it and pushing we were able to get back in the boat and, and get back to the dock and get home so 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 far so good uh, a little bit of excursion there uh or a little bit of learning experience with the tides but um but so far so good it's a good thing you approached it already humble because that would have been the first thing and it was anyway the first thing that would happen to any boat owner is you get humbled very quickly when you're out there trying to figure out what you're doing so but this sounds like this was after the training and the instructor, right? So this was this was when you went out on your own afterward for the first time. This was, yeah, and the training okay. was great. I had like five hours of uh, it was a retired Coast Guard captain. He was spent his career on Lake Erie for uh, out of Mentor, Ohio, so Northeast Ohio guy, and um, just five hours one on one training. It was it was really good, and um, you know, it's just I think humility is a good trait to have in, in many facets <laughs> of life, and certainly apropos when you when you go out and. Or learning how to boat on a big body of water. So, um, yeah, I don't by no means do I feel comfortable yet, but uh, but I'm getting there. We'll uh, turn the page to our show momentarily. But one last thing: what was the uh, one best piece of advice that uh, he gave you during the training that you think will will stick with you through all of your boating days in the future? 
Uh, the, the one best piece of advice, it, it just, um, the only thing that sticks out, I guess, at the moment is you said, always make sure that you're, you're, you're looking over your shoulder. So we had, um, <laughs> a much bigger boat uh, than the small boat that I was on and, and was getting trained on and came flying by us. And, um, <laughs> and I looked over, I was startled and, and Captain Tony saw that I was startled and he said, that's why you always look over your shoulder. <laughs> I said, point taken, <laughs> Captain Tony. That's great. Yeah, we could apply that probably to the financial world if we wanted to. Always be looking over that shoulder and making sure that you, you see what's coming to get you and get your portfolio. But we won't go all that crazy and uh, you know intense on today's show. But we are going to talk a little bit about what happens after retirement and what goes on with people's spending goals. What happens in that moment and then what that does to the plan, Kevin, because not everything stays the same when people retire. All of a sudden they may get into new hobbies, they may get into new activities, new priorities pop up, and what you plan for to start with may not necessarily still be intact. And I know that then creates lots of new planning challenges and problems for you and your team to solve and just another one of the kind of planning adventures you get to go on with folks, right? You got it. So, you know, if we're thinking about uh, what happens when your spending goals change after you retire, well, I mean, if you spend less, then probably not an issue, right? If you constructed your financial plan up front and uh, say you, you figured that you could spend at a certain level um, and be okay, and, and then you spend at a level less than what you were planning, then certainly no, no qualms to the financial plan. Uh, however, on the other hand, Maybe you want to spend more, or, or frankly, maybe you have to spend more on something. You know, we've we had a client that um, daughter was going through a bad divorce, uh, abusive relationship, kids involved, expensive attorneys, starting over. I mean, it was it was a really bad situation. Of course, they're going to help their daughter and they're going to help their grandkids. But um, frankly, I mean, the parents really had to to bail their adult daughter out. And um, she was staying at home with the kids and the husband was the one that was working and, and there was really not much of a choice. And so there was a situation like that where it was, okay, we have to do this, spend this money and we have to do this. So uh, we need to look and see how we actually are going to do it. And then uh, we had one last week where it was after that they retired, they said, you know, hey, we really like spending time down in Florida. We have a bunch of friends in the Sarasota and Bradenton area, and we'd really like to go ahead and buy a second home there. I said, well, that's great. You just have to keep working longer. And they said, wait a minute, we were already retired. And uh, I said, okay, well, maybe we can't do that. But bad jokes aside, life happens, things change. And, and that's probably the only certainty that we have when it comes to retirement planning. So certainly you cannot go ahead and just work longer. And for most people, they probably are not just going to go back and say, okay, I'll go back to work. It's more about, hey, how are we going to actually rework the plan? So when you are still working, that's probably the easiest thing to do. You know, something comes up, we had a, I had a meeting a couple of weeks ago and uh, clients were, were looking to move into another home and they started looking around and as things often happen with the home hunt, um, you start looking around and becoming emotionally engaged and, and the budget starts kind of getting a little bit higher and higher. And in this case, it was it was about 25% higher. So, you know, it was a sizable amount, you know, kind of about $200,000. And they said, you know, can we do this? I said, well, you know, if ultimately, if you just work maybe a year longer or so, went back and ran the numbers, re-updated things and, you know, talked to them and, and that for them, that was a trade-off that was worth making, you know, just work longer. But again, in, in the case and what we're going to talk about today is, you know, what about when these things change after you've cut off that, that paycheck and what you have accumulated has to last the rest of your lifetime. So 
one that we're going to talk about today. I'm not going to dive into the divorce situation that I mentioned, but uh, into the second home situation that I also mentioned. The process is really the same. Um, certainly the circumstances are dramatically different, but the process is really the same. And we've talked about our Retire Smarter Solution process in the past. We have a, a separate podcast episode directly dedicated for it. But it's really just going back and reworking that process, you know, maybe paying attention to a couple steps in particular that we'll highlight, but it, it's really just that. So in this case, we've been working with the clients for seven or eight years. Uh, they're in the very early 60s now, um, 61 and 62, married couple, uh, no kids. And and as, a, as I mentioned, you know, they just, they had a budget for travel. And, and in fact, they have three different budgets, uh, spending goals for travel and their financial plan. And in their case, the way that we did it, you know, they're, they retired in late 50s, early 60s. So, you know, who knows, maybe 40 plus years ahead of them, both in good health and uh, really like to travel and, and see the world. And so in their case, rather than having one very large travel goal consistently throughout retirement, we really broke it into stages to, to factor in that sort of, you know, hey, we've crossed off a lot of our bucket list items, so maybe we don't need to, to go there again. Um, but also, you know, just being mindful of the fact that we will be slowing down over time. And we're probably not going to want to make those big trips and, and hike through, you know, the mountains in Europe or, or something of the sort. Uh, so so they had these three different spending goals. But again, they came back and said, you know, we more of our friends are moving down to, to Bradenton, Sarasota area. You know, we'd really like to get out and, and spend more time down there. You know, can, is this something that we can do? And uh, when you think about the time that they retired, you know, being that they were, you know, late 50s, early 60s. I mean, again, I mean, their money has to last them potentially for you know, more than 40 years. I mean, if they were to make it all the way to 100 or so, I mean, that's, that's quite possible in today. And, um, you know, to go ahead and, and have a big change and, and maybe buy a few hundred thousand dollar house in Florida after you've already cut off that, that retirement paycheck is a big change for even the most you know well-funded financial plan. And and they had done really well. I mean, they had worked for, for many years, uh, both st uh, at, at the same company, had a, a good pension that uh, actually in their case made sense to take via a lump sum. They had 401ks, always lived below their means and had you know, a little bit north of $2 million, you know, quite a, quite a nice sum uh, for somebody. But again, I mean, they, that money has to last, you know, 40 plus years for them. Uh, and Social Security at their age, couldn't start yet. And uh, in their case, by and large, it's going to make sense to defer at least one, if not two, the benefits uh, later. So the portfolio is doing a lot of work in these early years of retirement. You know, they're pulling out um, a, a good chunk of money for their spending, you know, low six figures to do the things that they want to do and have the lifestyle that they become accustomed to and that we plan for. And all that was fine. But now when we start really reworking in uh, the the new second home goal after the fact that they retired, well, again, we kind of have to go back and rework the plan. So in their case, when we look at this Retire Smarter solution that we take clients through, really it was the lifestyle analyzer is step two. So we already have a plan in place. Step one is really kind of envisioning you know what's possible and what have you. Step two is the lifestyle analyzer and really measuring what your current lifestyle spending is. And the husband, uh, you know, he actually had 
kind of a, a Quicken sort of program where he tracked all his spending. And so we had some really good data that we were able to use and understand what their lifestyle cost. But then we started reformatting that a little bit and um, we broke it apart into different goals. I mentioned the travel goal and how we had three different travel goals and differing amounts and, and declining and staged over time as they age. So that was as more of kind of an age-related spending change customized to them. Also, uh, they had a, just a ranking effect. So there's certain goals that are going to be there as long as they are. Uh, it's more of those needs bucket goals. And then there's things that are a little bit more discretionary. Uh, we call them you know, just once is kind of the group that we put them in there. And then the most discretionary goals are wishes. So in their case, and, and the ranking by and large is different for different clients. Certainly we all have a different level of needs, but I can tell you working with clients over time, somebody's want is somebody else's need. So, you know, how you define those uh, is certainly subjective, um, but it's important to define them properly and to measure them uh, because again, you need to really maintain your lifestyle as a good starting point in retirement. But in their case, again, they actually added on to some of the things that they had become accustomed to. Uh, yes, they had done some traveling while they were working, but now that they weren't working, they wanted to do more of it. And in fact, they they have done you know more of it. So all that was is really kind of um, worked through when we started working together seven eight years ago, um, and then each year thereafter, you know, we were just really kind of remeasuring and. Okay, here's how much money you earned. Here's how much went to taxes. Here's the changes in any sort of um, savings that you have, any debt pay downs. And so we could basically back in and just double check their numbers every year as far as what they said that they were spending. And then we would just do a, a little bit of an accounting exercise there and just double check their numbers. Certainly we have to have good numbers going into the plan. And, and so we did that over a period of years. They cut the cord uh, and retired uh, about two years ago. And then, you know, this whole second home thing came up shortly thereafter. So in this case, we, we had a really good uh, understanding of their needs. Uh, we had a good understanding of their other goals. It's really been to a T so far in terms of their spending uh, the, the two years that they're into retirement. But now we have to go ahead and factor in this additional purchase, this second home purchase. And so when you can't work longer and just kind of power through and say, okay, hey, we have some increased spending goals. They're important to us. I'm going to go ahead and keep working so we can meet those goals. You can't do that here. You know, they didn't want to go back to work uh, and they certainly didn't want to put their, their lifestyle at risk either. So it's like, okay, well, you know, if there's a ton of safety margin in the plan and it's a clear no brainer, you know, that's great. You know, you can, you could afford to do more, but again, in their case, even though they had a, a good chunk of change, I mean, they were, they had maybe 40 plus years in retirement and uh, the money that they had had to last the rest of their lifetime. So in this case, um, when we started reworking through the plan, we didn't necessarily have to kind of redo uh, the lifestyle analyzer. I and mean, again, we had good spending data that had been confirmed over a period of years, had a lot of confidence in our numbers there. So we did have to pick up, you know, new spending goals. Well, one, and, and this was a bit of an iterative process, but how much f home can they potentially afford? So we first started talking about, well, where do you, where do your friends live? Um, you know, how much are the values of the homes that they're living in? You know, generally they kind of prefer to be around your friends or at least in close proximity to them. So we at least got a ballpark to start with and start modeling. But then, you know, Walter, I mean, you have to have uh, different costs that, uh, that a home uh, requires every year just to maintain it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Things, things definitely will change in that regard. You got your taxes, you have your insurance. Um, you know, typically in these places in Florida, you're going to have an HOA fee. 
you're going to have utilities expense, you know, so on and so forth. So, you know, we were, we, we added that in, we went through, uh, the, the whole process and, and we're stress testing the plan and really, again, had to make sure that if they were going to do this, that it was not going to put their lifestyle at risk. That was very clear uh, from both of them. It was something that they wanted to do, but if it was really going to put their lifestyle at risk, it, it just, let's take it off the table right now. So when we first went through that iteration, um, frankly, they just couldn't add, in addition to all the other spending goals that they had, they couldn't just add, say, okay, you know, hey, we're going to buy a three or $400,000 house uh, and add these carrying costs onto it. That plan just didn't work. So when we stress tested that plan, it was very clear that, you know, one, it wasn't going to work. Two, they were going to have to make some trade-offs. And three, if they did do that, it was going to potentially put, you know, some of their, more of their needs-based, more of their higher ranked goals at risk, which is just a non-starter when it comes to retirement planning. You don't want to put those core things at risk if you don't have to. Uh, so, well, what do we do then? Just completely take it off the table? Well, what we did was uh, they had a nice house in Ohio. They have a nice house in Ohio. It's worth somewhere on the order of maybe 700000 or so. Beautiful property. I've been there. There's you know a lot of acreage, a lot of trees, a lot of upkeep, a lot of maintenance work, stuff that they enjoy doing now, but stuff that they probably aren't going to enjoy when they're maybe 75 and certainly 80 or, or along those lines. And so it had always been one of these things where, yeah, maybe we downsize at some point, but we really love the house and, um, you know, we don't really want to plan for that. And we'll just know that the home equity is there is kind of a backup plan if we were ever really needed it. You know, maybe if there was a sort of a long-term care need or something of the sort. So we, we revisited that conversation and said, look, you know, hey, just adding in these goals isn't going to cut it. Um, it's just, it's going to you know put those more of the needs-based goals at risk. That's a non-starter for everybody. So we've talked about in the past about potentially downsizing at some point, and it's always been kind of off the books, not really included in the plan. I said, is it reasonable to you in order to potentially do this, this Florida property? Uh, let's assume that we were to sell the Ohio house, not anytime soon, you know, enjoy it. You're younger, you're healthier. You like being out there on the property, especially during the COVID situation when everybody shut in. It helps to have a little bit more space to, to go and mull about. Uh, but you know, maybe maybe when you're 75 or 80, is it just reasonable to you that we go ahead and reflect that in the plan and start factoring in that downsizing? And, and they both agreed with that. So now we're freeing up some some money to go ahead and add in some other spending goals. Uh, and I said additionally, and so when I looked at that, I said, okay, um, that's, it's helping us get it there, but it doesn't fully get us there to uh, a level where I would feel comfortable saying, yes, you know, kind of go for the house and then also go for, you know, the carrying costs that, that are going to come along with it. So we went back and relooked at their travel goals. And I said, you know, we have these different travel goals and the, their travel goal in the early sixties was about 20,000 per year. Pretty nice. sum. Uh, again, it was something that they were passionate about. They had more time. It was something that they had increased in terms of their spending goals from the time when they were working and what they were actually doing. And I said, you know, if you're going to be down in Florida for a few months out of the year, are you really going to be traveling maybe as much as you initially planned? And they, we thought about it. And, you know, frankly, it wasn't a clear uh, no brainer answer that it was going to be no. Travel was something that was very important to them, something that they very much enjoyed. They had some friends that they traveled with, different groups. And so they thought about that for a while. And, and ultimately, they did come back and, and say that they did feel like that was reasonable. So we had freed up some money with just factoring in a downsize on their their large, beautiful Ohio home you know, at some point down the road, not anytime soon. 
And then we also uh, got an agreement, mutual agreement to repurpose some of the, the hefty travel goal that they had over you know the period of years in retirement. And so when we went through that and we were stress testing that plan, basically what we came up with was, hey, under those assumptions, it certainly looks like you can afford to go and, and buy about a $400,000 house. And then uh, the other assumption that was came along with that is, you know, you kind of hold on to it for about 20 years. And so they sell it eventually. Um, but it was a process. It was, you know, they had a very sizable change in their spending plan and their goals and things that they wanted to do after they had already cut off their, their work paycheck, did not want to go back to work. And now we have to say, okay, hey, can we do this? And on first glance, when you looked at their safety margins in their plan, it's like, you know, probably not, but let's go through the process and look at some of the trade-offs, some of the things that are very important to you, and maybe we can get there. And if we can, certainly we have to figure out, well, <laughs> how much can you afford to spend? Because you don't want to put the cart before the horse and just go start looking at homes and then uh, end up kind of falling in love with something that's just not financially doable. So this was an iterative process that we went through probably over the last, I don't know, a year and a half or so. Uh, they still haven't bought the home yet, um, but they have clarity as far as how much they can afford. They have clarity about the different trade-offs that they're making to go ahead and pursue this new goal. And also if something, uh, you know, if coronavirus were to stay around for an extended period of time and the market sells off again and returns are lower or, or if some other bad news happens, we have a predetermined cutback plan in terms of their spending goals. It's not like we're going to cut back from their needs. They're going to still be able to go ahead and do that and, and maintain their lifestyle. But for them, the way that I explained it, I said more likely than not, rather than holding on to the property for 20 years, if things didn't pan out as, as we hoped, or if there's some other unforeseen spending that, that comes up that you really you have to do, it's not a like to do, but a have to do, like the divorce situation that I explained before, then you know maybe it's something that you can only do for 10 years or something like that. But you'll still be able to do it for 10 years. Is that a trade-off that you are comfortable with making? And they both didn't even look at one another, just shook their head up and down. And so, you know, it's one of those things where certainly to get clear on your goals up front before you retire is important. And measuring your lifestyle like we do in, in great detail in that step two in the lifestyle analyzer is critically important. Nobody really wants to take a step back uh, from what they become accustomed to you know, while they're working and as they go in and throughout retirement. In this case, not only had they stepped up some of their spending goals uh, and they were able to do that, but now they were adding in something that wasn't planned um, before they retired. And it was something quite sizable. And so in their case, um, I mean, I, I think it's probably going to come to fruition here later this year. And I'm excited to see it happen. But uh, in their case, they have clarity. They have confidence. We were able to go ahead and rework things, follow the process that we laid out up front to go ahead and help them retire, but then just rework it and evaluate some of the trade-offs that they were going to have to make to go ahead and accomplish their new and substantial spending goal of having a second home and being able to spend time in Florida. It's awesome to be able to accomplish all those different goals, Kevin. So many different uh, little needs and wants kind of needling their way into uh, that equation. And you just kind of have to sometimes talk these things out and figure out the best path in front of you. And, you know, it's neat to see that come to fruition for folks. I know that that has to be exciting for you to see come to fruition and, uh, of course, exciting for them to be able to realize some of those dreams. For sure. And the other side of that is it's it's always you never look forward to the day where you have to tell somebody no, that they can't do that or can't accomplish yeah. that. Uh, but it's part of the job. I mean, we would it would not be good if we if we didn't do that when we had to. Um, but I think more importantly than saying yes or no, um, it's just making things very clear 
and concrete about how it's going to happen, you know, why we're saying that it can or can't be done, or, you know, showing some of the trade-offs that can and probably should be made to go ahead and help you get there and just do the most with what you have. And so life is about trade-offs. I mean, uh, I, I don't care how much, you know, how big your bank account is or how small it is, we all have to make trade-offs to different degrees. We all want to go ahead and try to make the most out of what we have. But um, if you don't have the clarity around you know, what those trade-offs are and what the impacts are, it's just difficult to make an informed decision. And if you don't have that clarity and then ultimately the mind tends to go to a more of a state of worry. Um, and I think we could probably all relate to that going through what we went through. Uh, with the coronavirus in March uh, before, you know, this was kind of a brand new thing, but um, it's just the way that the brain works. It's, uh, it did a pretty good job protecting us for all those years as we were running from uh, bears and lions and whatever else in the woods. But uh, here we are today with a much more developed brain and um, certainly making trade-offs over having a Florida home or not are, are different than just staying alive. But nonetheless, our, our brain still works in a similar manner. Um, but you have to be clear and you have to understand the numbers, but then you, I think you have to have the, the experience and wisdom just to relate it to somebody to show really what those trade-offs are and just allow them to make a very informed decision that they feel comfortable with. Lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, have been traded for uh, stock market drops, uh, risk, and investments, oh my, something like that. I'm sure if we put more thought into that, we could find a better, That's a better not too bad, to Walter. compare. That was yeah. good. Off the cuff, not too bad, right? Uh, it's helpful, Kevin, to hear stories like this and how the planning process works and kind of getting an inside peek under the hood at truly what goes into putting together a true wealth design, uh, the name of the company. And here on Retire Smarter, if you want to get in touch with Kevin Krosky and the team at True Wealth Design, it's very easy to do so and talk a little bit about what's going on in your financial life. How can you better improve your financial situation going forward to and through and that's the important part as well, through retirement. Always don't overlook that, just getting to retirement. It's much deeper and goes beyond that as well. You can schedule a 15-minute call with an experienced advisor on the True Wealth Design team by going to truewealthdesign.com and clicking on the Are We Right For You button to schedule your call. Again, go to truewealthdesign.com and click on Are We Right For You. Or you can give a call directly to the team at 855-TWD-PLAN. That's 855-893-7526. Kevin, thanks for the help on today's show. Looking forward to another great conversation with you on the next episode. Thanks, Walter. By the way, I should have made a bigger deal about this at the beginning of the show. Congratulations. This was episode number 50, sort of a milestone episode for you here. You've hit the half-century mark of podcast. Well, 50? Well done. Wow. All right. Yeah. I, well, it's, uh, wow. I'm just I'm speechless. <laughs> well, it's just like ages, right? 50 kind of felt like 49 and probably feel how 51 felt a little bit. Well, when my wife uh, <laughs> when my wife turned 35, I made a toast of here's halfway to 70 and it just didn't go over. <laughs> Bad mistake, my friend. Bad mistake. Yes. I, sometimes oh I think I'm funnier than I actually am. <laughs> yeah, I, I hit that realization uh, this year. I'll be hitting 33. And so I'm like, I'm a third of the way to 99. Like, wow, that just, that doesn't feel good in, in my soul. And I know most of our Walter, you're listening like audience. you smallest violin <laughs> playing for you right now. <laughs> Based on our audience and the fact that I'm probably one of the uh, the younger in the crew here, uh, I realize people are uh, are laughing at me right now. But, you know, you know, you hit those different milestones for all of us. You go through them and you're like, oh, man, things kind of sink in for you a little bit. So 
It's part of life, isn't it? There you go. Well, congrats on a third of the way to 99, buddy. That's right. Well, you're halfway to 100, my friend, at least in terms of podcast number of episodes. So well done. I hope you have enjoyed the uh, now 50 and counting podcasts here on Retire Smarter. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcasting apps and get in touch with us if you have any questions at all. Happy to answer any questions that you have as well. We'll talk to you next time. For Kevin Kronsky, I'm Walter Storholt. This has been the Retire Smarter Podcast. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed. All performance reference is historical and not an indication of future results. Benchmark indices are hypothetical and do not include any investment fees.